You are listening to the Overfunctioning Leadership Podcast, learning leadership concepts through life experience. Welcome, everyone. This is another podcast sponsored by Of Leadership. My name is John. I'm Alex. And I'm Zach. And for those that are familiar with our podcast at all, uh, you'll notice a little bit of role reversal. So tonight I'm experimenting being the moderator. This could go swimmingly, one of my favorite words, or it could go pretty awful. Now, if I remember correctly, John, you did moderate another one of our podcasts that I forgot about. Nature versus nurture. Yeah, uh-huh. mm, the literal moderator. Was he the moderator or the mediator? I can't remember, I can't remember which it one was it was. It was basically just a fight. It was a fight. <laughs> but I read Wayne F. Regina's book on mm-hmm. using Bowen theory in mediation, and I found it very useful. Yeah. We mm-hmm. love Wayne F. <laughs> we do. So tonight is episode number 44. So when I think about episode 44, Zach, what comes to mind? Episode 44. It really just makes me think of Alex telling us a sports player's number who has 44 somewhere on his jersey. Because that's how we identify people (laughs) as just pawns on a field. (laughs) So, Alex? Uh, uh, Lee Suggs, Virginia Tech, uh, I believe... Browns running back, I think at the end of the year, one year, he had like one big game against Cincinnati. Anyways, I was at the game with my father. Yes. Somehow the Browns won the game. Lee Suggs, 60% of his last name was correct. <laughs> the two G's were not. I'll let you substitute whatever letters you want to put in the two G's. Zach's just sitting there thinking about it. Hey, carry the, it's, it's after B. Anyways, okay. Carry, carry the one. So tonight we're going to talk about uh, an interesting topic, uh, and the topic we're going to look at is called homeostasis. Uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes, but before we do, we have to recap our last podcast. So if you had a chance to listen to our podca- last podcast, excuse me, uh, it was on failure. So gentlemen, what did we talk about with the subject of failure? So when it came to failure, it was just looking at all the different instances of uh, failure when it especially comes to leadership and what does that mean? So I opened it up um, talking about some students of mine who were talking about making decisions for the future and really be con- being connected to this outcome and them not being able to reach the outcome made it a failure. And so we talked throughout the podcast about goals versus outcomes and not being so tied to the outcome, be, being more tied to the goal. And then through that goal, weaving your way through the different struggles and that bringing you to a better place than just focusing so much on the outcome. Yeah. And is, is binary thinking a thing? Is that a, a defined term? It is. I can't, I, as I was re-listening to that episode, I couldn't believe we didn't say the phrase mm. binary thinking at all because so much of it comes down to failure being negative when it inhibits creativity or your ability to find creative solutions to problems. And such a big indicator of that is either or thinking, Mm -hmm. also known as binary thinking. There's only two choices and they both represent the extremes. Yeah. Ed Freeman has cheese like a whole chapter on that. I believe one of his first couple chapters in a failure of nerve is about Mm -hmm. the loss of, of this creativity you speak of. Yes. And since that podcast and all of us do some coaching of people uh, in our lives, this topic of failure comes up a lot because oftentimes when people want to speak to us 
it's about a challenge they're having and automatically for many of us we go straight to i failed or this binary thinking so if you get a chance to listen to that podcast um, you may find that to be helpful so as i said tonight we're going to talk about the topic of homeostasis and talk a little bit about homeostasis we're going to actually define what it is that's the first thing that we'll do is define homeostasis. So, guys, I'm going to be looking for you to help define what that word is. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I'm interested in looking at its application in a couple different systems. I'm looking for application in a family system, so your own nuclear family or families that you are aware of. Uh, in a work system, we work in similar env- environments. Alex, you and I, Zach, different. So some work systems, whether it's current work or previous jobs, among friends, if you've seen examples of homeostasis in friendships. And then lastly, from a country perspective, do you see any examples of homeostasis for country? So looking at those four different parts of, of that, I think is helpful. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, what do we do with it? How can knowing a little bit about homeostasis allow for a leader to lead more effectively? So those will be the three topics that we have tonight and looking forward to a good podcast on those. Um, before we get to those three, um, those three parts of homeostasis, it's time for a fable. And I want to share a fable tonight if I can. Um, so part of, of our leadership podcast is thinking through systems. And one of the things that I started on the side that uh, all of us are, 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 are part of is uh, doing some leadership training and coaching. And I've recently launched a company called Third Dimension Leadership. Uh, if you Google Third Dimension Leadership, you'll see my website. Uh, please don't contact me on Third Dimension <laughs> Leadership. Uh, I'm really busy. The website sounds far more impressive than I actually am. But nonetheless, I've been doing a little bit of work on the side for third dimension leadership. And I was coaching uh, someone recently. Um, This was a mother who was talking about some challenges that she's having with her teenage daughter. And she was sharing with me that with her teenage daughter, she sees that she's pretty irresponsible. So I was asking the mother, what are some examples of some things the daughter's not doing? And she mentioned that she oftentimes sleeps in, doesn't get to school on time. Her grades aren't very good. Her room's a disaster. And so we began to talk about the concept of over and under functioning. And through a series of coaching sessions and talking through mom about this, it became apparent that mom was doing a lot of the work for the daughter. Things like doing her wash, making her lunch, um, doing all sorts of things that a 14-year-old daughter should do on her own. And uh, eventually um, what happened is the daughter just became more and more irresponsible. And... Um, so I, I talked to the mother, and the mother was super stressed about this. And so the mother decided to have a conversation with Jane, just made up the name. Uh, Jane, you're 14 years old, and I got my own things to do, so I'm, gonna, I'm not doing your wash any longer. And Jane seemed to take it very well, said, I understand, Mom, completely, et cetera, et cetera. And Jane began doing her own wash, so Mom was pretty excited about this. But then... After a period of time, Jane stopped doing her wash gradually. The clothes started piling up more and more and more. And Jane began to complain to mom that she had no clothes to wear. And the mom said, Jane, remember, I told you I was not going to do your wash. Uh, Jane protested, got angry with mom, et cetera, et cetera. And eventually Jane started just wearing dirty clothes to school. 
Um, things got so bad that Jane began to wear various bathing suits instead of underwear because her underwear was all dirty. And mom eventually grew so tired of it, was embarrassed that her daughter was going to school looking like this, that mom went ahead and began doing the wash because it was just easier. And, th- and that fable demonstrates a, a concept of homeostasis. And so guys, as we think about homeostasis, if you could maybe define your best thinking about what is homeostasis and let's talk through first what it is and then we'll look at some examples from different types of systems okay great and i think it would be helpful too is to parse out that that story a little bit um and maybe we'll use that as our background too so when it comes to homeostasis um i am the biology teacher and we talk Mm -hmm. a lot about homeostasis within um the biological realm and so Homeostasis, I always define it to my students. I say doing whatever is easiest or going back to whatever the normal is. So I'm going to state that again, going back to whatever the normal is. So within the systems realm, if you take that into a systems realm, that's taking you back to whatever the system is used to. Now, I think if you can also merge that, knowing that whatever the system is used to, you said easy, that word easy came out. And if we really take it down to the bare bones when it comes to just biology, There's two things that every organism wants to do, survive and reproduce. So within that system, to maintain homeostasis, it's about survivability, especially in a family. A lot of the systems we're talking about, let's just connect it just to survivability. So wanting to survive, and if my homeostasis is what I'm used to, and that could be bad, it could be good, um, but that's what I'm used to, and that's what's helping me survive. Messing that up is where Jane had an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, that her survivability got, now she's got to do something else. It's a little harder for me to survive, even though it's washing clothes or whatever, um, and vice versa. So that's the, when I think about homeostasis, going back to whatever the normal is and being at that normal state. So I heard you say that homeostasis is about what is normal mm-hmm. and what is easy, mm-hmm. is what you said. Um, Zach, any thoughts on homeostasis from your perspective? I I think this conversation just bears a lot of merit to the idea of habits. Just something to keep in mind is we tend to engage in habitual behavior because it's easy, because we've done it before, um, and often a lot of our habits are unintentionally learned. And so we see that a lot with homeostasis. You know, your first day at the new job ends up influencing your later days because people start to measure you up. They start to see how can I interact with that person. They gain these new patterns and suddenly you found yourself in a position you didn't intentionally put yourself in because maybe you were trying to feel it out. Mm-hmm. And so I I think the we'll we'll probably talk about habits a little bit too mm-hmm. as we talk about this. Yeah, that's really interesting about habits and when anxiety rises, that habitual behavior takes place. And I'll be interested to explore that as we look at the different family systems. I want to just finish up talking a little bit about equilibrium, excuse me, homeostasis, but the synonym of homeostasis is in fact equilibrium. And uh, in economics, um, there's the supply meets demand, and that's equilibrium. Uh, The term equilibrium actually means at rest. And So the idea of equilibrium or homeostasis is it stays put until something or someone decides to change the homeostasis. So it will stay at rest. And I think part of 
part three of our application, which is going to be what can a leader know about homeostasis is the notion of the leader is the one that disrupts the homeostasis. And then you see the predictable fallout for doing those. So I'll be interested to see that application piece a little later on. So now that we've defined uh, homeostasis, let's talk a little bit about application. And I shared a couple different examples of application. Uh, we talked about family systems. We talked about work systems among friends and also among countries. Uh, am I missing a system here? I just, that's the four that I wrote family, down. Family, work, friends, country. You got them. Sound good? Okay. So as you think about those four examples, those four different types of systems, where have you seen homeostasis and this idea of staying at rest that people like things predictable and when things get stirred up, there tends to be problems. Any examples you see from any of those four systems? Uh, wow. I mean, I can see examples in all of those systems. I think country is something that, um, I don't know. As, as Zach and I have traveled a bit out of country, um, and so that's the one that intrigued me most out of the four that you mentioned. Um, and we'll obviously go back to family, work, and friends here in a second. But even within countries, you can see a, a certain homeostasis. So when I went to Laos, uh, they're a Buddhist country, and so within Buddhism, it's a lot about peace. Look, and I don't know much about Buddhism, okay, so I'm no expert here, but it's a lot about peace. And so there, people are very, very friendly, um, as opposed to then in the same trip, we went to Philippines, which is a Catholic country. Now, it doesn't always come to religion, but a lot of time, religion can have a, a factor. And the Catholicism there, like people were, they told us you need to like hide your stuff because you're going like to steal stuff. And like just a very different kind of culture based off of whatever the homeostasis was set there. So I imagine that if we went to China, that'd be very different. And, I, and obviously I'm thinking of like some... Um, like, you know, if we go to Russia, it's probably different from when I was in Europe. It was very different from when I was in Asia. Those places were different because the homeostasis was set that was different. Or even as a country, even if you think of it this way, um, and this is for another talk later, but like women's roles. So if we look at women's roles in the United States, so women have been claiming more and more roles as we've, as we've, as we've um, evolved as a country. And the, the old homeostasis was that women stayed at home because they needed to be there. That was their role. Like they had to wash the clothes. That was, I think, one of the biggest inventions that has been mentioned over time is the clothes washer. Because clothes washer, then they don't have to take as much time to wash. Since we have a clothes washer, they don't have as much time to have to do that. So there was reasons why, what I'm saying here is that there was a reason why women were at home. And they had to stay at home. And now, because of technology, that has changed. So the homeostasis and things have been changing over time. So the homeostasis has changed from that. So that's kind of a weird example. But at the same time, you can look at different how the homeostasis is trying to change. And women, consequently, now are trying to, you know, becoming in more and more leadership positions out of the home. And you can see that the homeostasis for the United States has is, is been, oh, women stay at home. And now since that's changing, that's kind of getting that backlash in, in some different areas. And so I know that I skipped around to a couple different countries and landed back in the U.S. <laughs> talking about women's roles, which is another conversation for later. But I, I think overall the, the homeostasis, I mean, the government has a big play into it. The religion has a big play into it uh, when it comes to a country. Um, 
And my guess is it's going to come down to the guiding principles, right? I mean, it always comes down to that, wherever the guiding principles of the country is. So you mentioned the washing machine, and I don't know if I've even shared this, maybe I shared with you earlier, but that uh, Hans Rosling, if you're familiar with that name, he's done a lot of work on just studying countries. He's got a wonderful website called Gapminder, which looks a lot at the world and, and trying to become less ignorant about the world. But he gave a talk and, and his talk was the greatest invention ever for mankind. And if you think about, you know, listeners at home of what would be the greatest invention and you can come up with a lot of different things, but he said the washing machine mm-hmm. was the greatest invention and how that freed up primarily women to be able to then go out and do other things. And I'm, I'm, I was interested in the comment that you made. So this idea of women's roles changing and people pushing back against Mm -hmm. that and saying, oh, that's discrimination. But there's an element of homeostasis there that may be missing where it's it's the idea of a system going back to the predictable nature of Mm -hmm. what it used to be. And I think that oftentimes is completely missed. As a matter of fact, this whole talk is completely missed by most leaders where they look at other causes, which may actually be true, but homeostasis almost is never mentioned nor understood. Yeah. Well, I mean, even you just look at the women's roles. I mean, how many years are we looking at here? for women to hold those roles just in the u.s but even before they got to the u.s i mean we're talking thousands of years in which they held the same role and that was the homeostasis a well-established homeostasis Mm -hmm. for men and women and so now you want to change that up it's not going to just get changed in 50 to 100 years Mm -hmm. it's going to take some time interesting now i also think an interesting perspective that especially that whole uh, women's role conversation um, plays a part in it is when we're talking about these different spheres of applications, the family, the work, the friends in the country, we're seeing um, what I have just now penned as different degrees of impact or involvement with varying levels of intimacy. So that is to say that you have homeostasis at this base level within triangles themselves. How Alex and I act when it's just the two of us has a level of homeostasis as compared to when we add our friend John in. And you see that from the base level of triangles all the way up to countries, which is just compounded amounts of relationship, as well as this, um, I would call it a distinction we make between those we're willing to be intimate with, you know, our friends and our family and the people that we have relationships with out of necessity such as our workmates and our countrymen. And you see, just bear with me, this final piece where as the homeostasis rises from triangles upwards, you also have a homeostasis battling downwards from your country and your work. And so you can have this battling sphere within your family, you know, as you're changing, you're not only fighting within your system, but that homeostasis will actually start to bleed out into your other systems. And so it's not just confined to our spheres of family, work, and friends and country, but as we gain that support and that traction uh, on whatever level we're, level we're at, it will bleed outward. So you're like almost introducing there's some conflict there because they're bleeding into each other. Right. You're going to yeah. see at different levels how home and work and family. I was thinking of John here from a political realm. This has got to like strike gold with you, right? When people come up with new judicial laws and all sorts of things. Oh, yeah. So let me, let me follow up with just a clarifying question, then I can address that issue. So when you say bleeding into, are you saying that family systems bleed into work systems, into country systems? Is that what you're saying? Would yeah. You? Okay. 
you know, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that, that when you look at what's happening on a macro level, country level, it's oftentimes changes that are happening in the family system. And, and an interesting thing that I've not explored, I'm not sure anyone has, is this interlinking between a change in countries and a change in families. And does one drive the other? Is the primary change at the country level, and then that impacts families, or does it start in a micro level with families and work its way outward to countries? Mm. That would be an interesting thing to think through. But certainly in, in studying political science and, and countries, and you, you, it, you see systems, you see change. We're studying China in my comparative politics class now, and one of the well, homeostasis in China is the idea of obedience, authoritarian government. And there's almost this tacit agreement between the citizens of China and the Chinese government where the Chinese government provides the basic necessities, economic growth, and stability and leadership, strong leadership. And uh, inversely, the people don't question the authority. And that's just kind of how it is. And then you look at 1989, the Tiananmen Square riots. You look at the 1980s of... Um, China, and you start to see more and more Western ideas that are coming in, idea of demonstrations, civil liberties, and eventually it starts to disrupt the system, and then you have the Tiananmen Square uh, massacre that takes place, and then it goes back to the previous system of stuck. And so part of the elements of homeostasis, which we'll get to part three of our application, is when you're a leader and you institute change in a system, there almost always are casualties for doing so. But ultimately is the path towards growth for everyone, but it's a painful path for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, continuing with our uh, examples, can you think of a, f a family system specifically uh, or a work system specifically where you see examples of homeostasis, this entrenched, I, I wrote the word togetherness, that it seems like to me that part of homeostasis is this notion of togetherness, and we're going to do a future podcast on extreme togetherness which is called fusion. But can you see examples in family systems, either personal families or others that you're coaching or um, uh, work systems of, of homeostasis? Oh boy, oh boy. I, I can think of a couple. Um, on a broad level, we've talked on the podcast on a couple occasions of how when children leave the nest, it can greatly affect the relationship of the parents just in the fact that there's now one or two less people in that system, and that can have a significant impact, um, such as avoiding issues of conflict by focusing more attention on the children. And we've talked about that before. I'm also thinking about um, there. There's a I have a close friend, and his father is uh, very close to passing away. And I know that early on in the illness, um, the financial status of the family was in question. There's just a lot of conflict and tension around the topic of money, of debt, of what's going to happen, of um, the close-handedness of the father with that. And now, as the illness has progressed, we also see they've put that aside, away that tension to focus on the father and his health. And I, I can only imagine what's going to happen when they have to reintegrate with that issue. But it, it's to the point where because of the father's inability to act in the way that he has as a result of his illness, the homeostasis of the system changed, mm -hmm. and they were forced to adapt. Mm -hmm. They were no longer actually able to address the issue of finances to a large degree because while being alive, he still holds the power 
regarding the finances, and he's actually not in any capacity to deal with them. You mentioned uh, people coming and going. Dr. Bowen talked about nodal events, births, deaths, marriages, divorces, et cetera, et cetera, and he encouraged... This is part of the the leadership application, but he encouraged leaders to be present during those times because that's when the system gets disrupted and people become more open to and pliable to seeing things. You start to see changing dynamics versus things just always the way they are. So I was intrigued by that comment that you had. Hmm. How about uh, in work systems? Can you think example of a work system of an application of homeostasis that you've seen? When it comes to that nodal event, um, I, I can think of my own work system. I mean, I, I think it's pretty easy within a school when you've had three or four different principles. You can see how the homeostasis has changed between every single different leader. But I'm going to parse this down into even my own classroom. So within a classroom, you have, you know, 30 kids, 28 to 30 kids. And it is amazing how much, and I know, Zach, you've been able to be privy to this because of um, your girlfriend is teaching now, too. And so she's she's at a, a much more difficult school than John and I work at. Um, but how, as a teacher, you have an ability to change the homeostasis however you like it. And so I can think of my early starting as a as a teacher and how my own confidence really derailed my ability to manage my classroom and the homeostasis so like how I would <laughs> I would have stuff on the board and I know my stuff but I would always I would even verbalize it I think this is right or this this looks like it's right is this right and asking mm. students not from a standpoint of is this right as in you know, I'm trying to test you, but I was like questioning myself. So what does that do to the homeostasis of the, of the room? Like the student will sit there and go, well, he doesn't even sound like he knows what he's talking about. So what, you know, as to when about a year and a half in, I had a principal, um, Kathy Thomas, who told me, she came in and said, you know what you're talking about, right? And I said, yes. And she's like, well, then just act like it. And then it, like my light bulb went off. And from then on, like things just smoothed out in my ability. I started taking those words out and the, the homeostasis of my room really started to mold into, it's funny, it's really molded into who I am as a person more than anything else. You know, I know where I need to get on somebody's butt about things, but like, it's really just fascinating, um, how the homeostasis can change in a classroom. Um, but also with the different classrooms that you have. So you know, I have six different classrooms, and depending upon your clientele, the homeostasis could be more difficult to manage. You know, um, even though it is me and I'm always the same, your clientele could push harder against what you're trying to manage, and that would all come back to differentiation. My guess, harder man, whatever you're doing, wh- whatever work you're doing. The people in there, if they're less differentiated, my guess is you're getting more pushback than people who have higher differentiated. Well, I was interested in that idea of uh, two different classrooms or two different families um, where in one particular, we use the classroom example, in one particular classroom, it's calmer, the students are more focused. Mm -hmm. So remember, homeostasis, synonym is equilibrium, which means at rest. And so... When a classroom is calm, it stays at rest, and there's not a whole lot you need to do to keep it there. But in a more reactive classroom, for a variety of reasons, 
it, it's the equilibrium is far more likely to, to be disrupted by a small input. Mm-hmm. And then the leader has to recalibrate that equilibrium to a new equilibrium. And, and, and so for the leaders, and this is going to get to our, our third point here as we shift, is navigating that space between the old equilibrium and the new equilibrium and being okay with the uncomfortableness that's inevitable going from the former equilibrium to the more thoughtful, the more responsible equilibrium. Mm -hmm. And this oftentimes, you know, you have Ed Friedman's book there, A Failure of Nerve. The title of that book is exactly that gap. And and perhaps we can we can shift to our third Mm -hmm. question, which is, okay, as a leader, why is it important to know homeostasis? And I and I think to start with, we have to look at this notion of going from the former equilibrium and a leader trying to move it to a more thoughtful, mature equilibrium, and it's that intermediate gap until it settles where people typically lose their nerve and the system goes back to its previous, less mature self. The question is, how is understanding and being aware of systems theory specifically the idea of homeostasis. How is that helpful to leaders? What information does it give them? How does it inform their next steps? Can can we hop into the definition of homeostasis real quick? Is it also okay to define homeostasis as comfortability, uh, emotional comfortability, not necessarily emotional maturity, but but to say that like emotionally I'm okay with where things are at because there's not any tension or anxiety or anything that there is I've suppressed it such that I am at peace with it. I can survive yeah, yeah. you know habits you mentioned habits and it, the habits that one has personally or, or organizationally may not be the best but it's what they're used to doing when anxiety rises so I think easiest. it's the easiest mm-hmm. it's at rest Yes. It's at rest. So when we put it in those terms, uh, if we're, we're talking about why is it so important that leaders be aware of homeostasis, it, it starts with just that. I mean, the precursor to even this topic is being aware of the emotional currents of your system. Like you just have to be aware of that or else you won't understand why homeostasis is homeostasis because it means that that's what things return to after those tides, whether it's an intentional change or an unintentional change. And so it's important because when you realize that that's where the emotions rest, that's where people are at peace with things being, it helps you to understand that there will be an emotional reaction when change occurs and that in order to maintain a change to establish a new equilibrium there's going to need to be a level of patience and resilience to that reactivity yeah i I think you really hit on an important point you know bowen talked about emotional process which is zach what you described there that it's just the changing dynamic so you know, Alex is familiar with this. So in our school system, I've been in, in the education where I'm at for almost 30 years. So I've seen uh, I've seen a lot of um, dynamics in our school system. 
but one of the the changes that's taken place over the last couple of years is this idea of becoming more collaborative as a as a group of, of school employees and an example of that would be uh, something called instructional rounds, which is where individuals go into other teachers' classrooms to observe what they're doing. And, and it's not been a great rollout. There's been some some hiccups for sure. But oftentimes we focus on the rounds or the content of the issue, and we completely miss the emotional process, this idea of homeostasis that for years we've taught somewhat in silos, and there's an attempt by the leadership to break us out of those silos and maybe it's for our best I would actually argue it is but there's pain along the way and the resistance that is in varying degrees by individuals is a window into this desire to go back to the habit go back to the previous level of functioning even if it's not the best level of functioning for an organization yeah I see it as predictability in a lot of ways so if you can understand homeostasis you can predict in some ways what it's going to happen and in so doing that and knowing the theory behind it when we talk about the theory of bone family systems theory um, you are able to calm your own what-ifs you're not gonna be able to calm the anxiety of the system because they're gonna have their own what-ifs well I don't know I might take that back you'll be able to calm your own what-ifs reducing hopefully your anxiety and if you are a leader and influence the system in some way you'll actually be able to reduce the anxiety of the system that's a really important point yeah because I, I would say that you can't reduce the anxiety of the system but that's not correct because as an individual and as a leader of the system in some shape or form mm-hmm. if you reduce your own anxiety then you're able to reduce the system yeah and and i've made that mistake in coaching talking to people about you know one of the roles as a leader is to reduce the anxiety in the system and and they've been frustrated with their inability to reduce the anxiety in the system and they'd have reactive people come to them complain about x y or z and they're like gosh what i'm doing is not working but the point that you made alex is really really key that it's the leaders managing their own anxiety which ultimately then leads to a calmer system but i tell you what in my view the longer the equilibrium has been there the longer the process is between the old equilibrium and the new and most leaders die on the way there Mm. they die they quit they just give up they they transfer jobs um it's just too hard to stay with it yeah because i imagine that would lead to blaming as well like it's not me it's them you know it's (laughs) every breakup of all time binary thinking yeah it's not me it's you that's right oh wait it's not me it's it's, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. That's how it is. <laughs> I always tell people it's not, it's not me, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why things never worked out. I don't know either. Because <laughs> you're perfect. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I don't have any flaws. There's no need for introspection or gaining new perspective on yourself or your own emotional behaviors because what could go wrong? Uh-huh. <laughs> So as far as when it comes to the helpfulness of knowing a homeostasis, right? So Zach talked about awareness, and then and I was talking about predictability. John, what do you think when it comes? What why is it helpful? You know, the, the predictability piece is I think really really key. That it it, it just things just are less surprising. Um, I think if you're a leader and you want to lead a family, an organization, a classroom, a sports team. A country into higher functioning, there's going to be predictable sabotage that's going to occur where people will nod yes and mean no. 
And it's just a really, really long process. And to, to have a new initiative and say, hey, here's the thing, we need a four-step plan. While it's important to do those things well in, in what's called the rational sphere of, of the iceberg, uh, underneath the iceberg, it's just a long, long road of change. So I would say for leaders, you mentioned, we talked about being aware of emotional process and habitual behaviors back. You talked about predictability. I would say be very, very patient. Well, I would say when, you, when you're talking about predictability, I think it also, for your own self, it reduces the amount of reactivity that you're going to have. So like, I, I don't know you guys probably experienced this too. And, and our listeners is when you know, kind of know something's going to happen, you're going to roll something out and people are going to be mad. And when they come and that happens, you can almost, I've, I've caught myself putting a smile on my face in some days because I knew this was going to happen. You know, you're like, I know I'm going to roll this out. And I'm not smiling because I'm like, Oh, I gotcha. But it's one of those things where like, okay, I knew this was coming. I'm not freaking out about it. And I can actually have a thoughtful response instead of a reactionary response to whatever's happening. So um, I think that's a big part of what predictability helps with. It's We talked about how to reduce your anxiety. How does it do that? Well, it helps you stay away from being so emotionally reactive and being more of a thoughtful response with things. You're almost setting an expectation within yourself at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just thinking on the, the question of why can changing homeostasis be so difficult? I'm going to throw something at you guys. Let me know what you think. Uh, I've penned it in the past, you know, minute. The illusion <laughs> of predictable consequences. We were talking about binary thinking earlier, and binary thinking is so nice because I can lie to myself and I can say there's only one of two things that are going to happen, and I'm going to go at it full force, and that's just what's going to happen. The way that we deal with this anxiety and this fear is tricking ourselves into believing that there's a consequence that'll happen that I can know. Well, this is the one outcome. This is the one outcome. This is the last time we talked about failure, Mm -hmm. the outcome. Yeah. Yep. Where one of the ways, uh, a, a practical way I imagine that we could make the transition from one homeostasis to the next easier is by making clear those common fears and anxieties that you can encounter and leading by saying, guys, this is what these new consequences will be. I think, you know, uh, my girlfriend's been dealing with some very rambunctious students, but part of it is just not saying you guys want to go back to not being punished, not dealing with the consequences and that's the consequence of your behavior is no consequences and so saying hey this is what's going to happen it's not going to be this it's not going to be that this is what's going to happen and it's going to happen every time in this situation you know you reduce that fear and you reduce that tendency they're probably still going to react out because they really aren't differentiated well they're testing to see whether or not you really mean what you say or whether it's going to go back to the previous system Right. Which leads back to another podcast we did a while ago about sabotage. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so the way this plays out in the work sphere then is, you know, you lose an employee. It's like, oh, what's happening with this business? Are we really as stable as we thought? Are we? And it brings up all these fears and these anxieties that need to be dealt with. And, you know, I, I really like that idea of nodal events because, boom, if the leader's there, it's super impactful. 
And also, you know, John's talking about people leaving <laughs> and because they can't, they, they just don't have the metal to deal with that anxiety. But it makes sense why the system might change after they leave and someone else comes in because it's, a, it's an opportunity for a new start and someone's making use of that opportunity. So in, in the last few minutes of the, of the podcast, thinking through the last part of the application of this for leadership principles is how does understanding homeostasis and the larger picture of emotional process, how is that helpful for leaders? And I've heard you say that it helps to frame the predictable, the circumstances of the sabotage and pushback might look different, but there will be sabotage and pushback. And then Secondly, and kind of leading into the second point from the first one, is it allows people to take things less personal, even though the followers, family members might try to make it personal, actually will probably try to make it personal. Uh, it's really not personal. Uh, I think those are two big takeaways. Um, anything else you see from, as a leader, this is how knowing about homeostasis can be really useful. I, I now understand why you wanted to lead this podcast, sir. And why is As that host? <laughs> well, we're talking about all, all about homeostasis and effectively, I believe John has changed the homeostasis of this podcast episode. I don't know if you meant to do that, <laughs> but if you think about it, right, probably uh -huh. sounds a little bit different in some ways, I would say. I would say it probably does. Uh, sure. Mm -hmm. I haven't noticed. <laughs> and, and on my end, I have to tell you on my end, you know, um, it's been kind of weird. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's, and that's fine. So what is the goal of this podcast to, you know, for us to learn? Yeah. And so if that's the goal mm -hmm. and it's not, my outcome isn't to be like, well, Alex is the host or whatever, mm -hmm. then I shouldn't care. And so it's just been, it's been interesting mm -hmm. just to sit back in here and watch it, watch mm -hmm. the homeostasis literally of this podcast, mm -hmm. this one podcast. Mm. And one has to wonder, is there a tie in between changing the host and the topic Perhaps, <laughs> just as a little experiment, just to see. We'll see. It'll be a new start for us all. <laughs> well, that about wraps it up for episode 44. Mm -hmm. So, gentlemen, before we say sayonara, what special shout-outs do we have? I remember none of these. <laughs> so, you can get us on iTunes, Google, Google Play, Play, yeah, Simplecast, YouTube, um, and you can email us at actually a new email. Old one still works. It'll forward right to the new one. Yes. Ofleadership at gmail.com. That's ofleadership at gmail.com. And we'd like to thank Jesse Huffstetler for your sick beats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find him as Jetler on Spotify. You can Google him. I don't know where he'll show up, but he should show up. And uh, you know, just a great guy. If you, if you ever have a chance to meet him in real life, just say hi. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. I think that's all the stuff we got there, John. All right. So that's our 44th podcast sponsored by Of Leadership. I'm John. I'm Alex. And I'm always third, Zach. <laughs> See you around. Catch you next time. Adios.